0: it is a delight and joy to see so many people here today Uh, those uh, who are watching my live stream good morning to you but what a great crowd we have right here in the church house. Our resters are making their way through the auditorium. If you did not receive a copy of this morning's notes uh, or the announcements, if you would just raise your hand. Let's make sure everyone uh, is with us. You take your Bibles, be turning to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll get into the message in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, let me just uh, recognize a couple people as we're getting situated here. Now, don't get too comfortable. We're going to stand in just a few moments to read our passage of scripture. But before we do that, let me just uh, recognize Josh and Ashton Berlin. If you two would please stand. Um, Sadly, this is their last Sunday. They're moving to that beautiful metropolis. Oh, wait, they're moving to Stockton, California. Um, uh, She is going to be uh, taking an assignment there to work in a hospital for 13 weeks or something like that. And so, uh, so they have, since the very moment they arrived, Josh arrived as a single man a couple of years ago, and he has been faithful. And he, has, he, has, uh, uh, he, he didn't have to be. I mean, he, he came here uh, taking on a job at a, a company here in the area. Uh, he was dating Ashton, a uh, long-distance relationship. She was uh, still there back in college. And, 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 and Joshua has been faithful since the day he arrived here. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I really appreciate that testimony. Then they got married, and she jumped right in from the very first Sunday. They've greeted many of our visitors, and I'm going to miss them. I I miss people that are involved in our church. It's like part of me is torn away when they leave. Let's thank them for their great involvement in our ministry. Thank you guys so much. I wish them nothing but the best, and, and maybe they could take an assignment back here in Tucson. At some, I mean, we do have one or two hospitals, so I mean, maybe, maybe they could find another job back here. But they want to travel and see the world, and certainly I understand that. Um, and then in the back row, we have uh, Neil. Neil. Now, we all love Neil Freisinger, right? He is, I mean, he serves on our board of trustees. He's taught for, for so long, and he's not even looking, he's ignoring me. But anyway, I, I, I see you ignoring me. But uh, Neil, if you'll, uh, you have a special, very special guest. If you'll get that special guest, I believe his name is Carson, and his daughter, Carissa, is here. And Neil doesn't have any idea what I'm going to be preaching on today. His grandson is here for the first time all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Why don't you stand up and so we can see your grandson there. This is Carson. And Carissa, you stand up too. Carissa grew up here in our ministry. Thank you so much for being here today. and. What, a, what an exciting time it is for you guys. Um, and I hope you have a dynamic week here in Tucson as they're visiting. And uh, I just love that grin on Neil and Vanessa's face. You can't, I mean, they, they have no idea that they're even in church today. But, uh, but that's, that's good. It's good to have grandchildren. And I hope you have a great, great visit. And then, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, we have the Williams family. This is so awesome to see Nigel and Denise and Bonnie. They were members for a long time here, and then um, they moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And Denise, uh, would you guys stand for just a moment? Uh, what a delightful, I just want to talk about them for just a moment. Um, Denise, it's been how many years? Five years? Seven years, seven years since they moved. Do you know that this, this young lady here, uh, she still texts me on Saturdays or Sundays to Say, I'm praying for you, I miss my church. All those years. I sure love you guys, and it is a joy and delight. Bonnie was that tall when she left seven years ago, now she's this beautiful lady. It is so great. Thank you for coming from Atlanta, Georgia, to be here today. It is a great joy to see you guys. And uh, several other folks who are visiting, and I don't know you, and I was sure would love to meet you and, and to get acquainted with you. Uh, it's so awesome to see uh, folks in every section of the balcony as well. Um, I'm excited about being in church today. And today we're going to talk about someone that I really identify with. Um, uh, in the first part of his life, not necessarily the second part of his life, but this is an amazing uh, story that we 're going to look at this morning now if you 're new with us, uh, new to to our services and, and new with us this morning, um, you may have saw oh, uh, what is that cardboard box leaning against the platform? Did they forget to take that down? Um, this box is, has represented us since January, and we 're now in march, and uh, uh, it will be Off the platform next Sunday. Because next Sunday we have a special speaker coming in. And so we're in for a treat. That way you can have a break from me. You've, been, you've had me for more than a year now. So you need a break from me. So we're going to have a, a special speaker coming in next week. An evangelist. He's coming in for the morning service. And then he'll be with the teenager Sunday night. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to his uh, ministry. Evangelist Barry Webb will be with us. He's a chalk artist and a ventriloquist. Uh, he'll be with the children on Wednesday night. And so it, it's going to be uh, really exciting to have his family with us. But for us, this box represents what's happened since February of last year. And that is is that our routines, our paradigms, um, things and dreams that we had. Uh, we came to church and we sat wherever we wanted to and we hugged others' necks and we shook hands. And those things were wiped away because of some, some pandemic and now life is different. And we've seen political changes in our country and we've seen uh, jobs change and we've seen our lives turned upside down over the last year. And the fact of the matter is, is there's many stories in the Bible where someone's box was flattened. It was destroyed. And what they thought was a great life, what they thought was going to happen, was suddenly and radically changed. Even within our own church, sadly. There are those who have experienced death as a result of a virus. There are those who have experienced separation from a spouse during this past 12 months or so. There are those within our own congregation who have experienced the virus itself and even to this day, maybe you're struggling in and recovering from it. Many of us, our box has been flattened and for some almost destroyed. We're going to be introduced to a man this morning and his name is Simon Peter. And I want us to look at Peter who many times I identify with him here's some things that I see about Peter he was brash impulsive and often spoke before he thought about what he was going to say but as we learn and discover the life of Peter he actually became one of the greatest men in all of the New Testament who was this Peter there are folks here today Maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church, and and you don't even know who Peter is. You think uh, St. Peter. He was the first pope of the Catholic Church. Um, you may think uh, of Peter as, uh, oh, I've heard that name before. Or you may be new in your faith. Oh, there's some, some uh, people that's been in, in church for a long time. Maybe it'll be good to be reminded of some things that took place in Peter's life. Peter was the guy that left the boat in the sea, and he went out to walk on the water to see Jesus. Jesus. And promptly, he took his eyes off of Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 that it began to sink. Can you imagine such a thing? You're out in a boat. You say, that's just a Bible story. No, think about that for just a moment. You're out in a boat. Many of us, we've been out fishing before. We've been in a boat. You're out in a boat. And hey, there's this guy walking across the water like that's a normal thing. And Peter, being so bright and impulsive, he says, well, if that guy can do it, I can do it. So he jumps out of the boat, and the Bible says he literally walked on water until he took his eyes off of Jesus. Can you imagine? Let's put our, uh, let, let's uh, walk in Peter's sandals for a moment. Peter gets out. He's walking on the water, and there's some thoughts he had. This is pretty cool. Hey, guys, look what I'm doing. You're not doing it. Or Peter suddenly sees a big fish swim underneath him. And he goes, what am I doing? Or Peter says, wait, what have I just done? I don't have never taken swimming lessons. For whatever reason, Peter was walking on water, took his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to drown. He began to sink. That's the Peter I'm talking about this morning. Peter, he's the one... To, Peter, he took Jesus, the God of heaven, the Son of God. He took him aside in Matthew chapter 16 and he rebuked him. He, he, he was going to fix Jesus. Only Jesus swiftly took care of the matter and corrected him in Matthew 16. It was Peter who, who suggested, Hey, I got a great idea. Let's build three tabernacles uh, and we're going to honor Moses and we're going to honor Elijah and we'll honor Jesus. And then they fell to the ground in a fearful silence when they realized God's glory. <laughs> it was Peter. Who, who drew his sword and he cut off the ear of that of that servant who was with the high priest when they were trying to arrest jesus and and, and take Jesus away? can you can, we, we don 't really think about this we just read that oh that 's nice, no, think about this. The servant goes home that night. his wife is getting his meal ready, and, and she's fixed whatever they eat there, and uh, fixed some good falafel, and, and, um, and they have some, so, so a meal there, and as, G, as the servant walks in, uh, his wife says, uh, Hey, honey, how was your day? Oh, it was okay. Yeah, some guy cut off my ear, and it fell to the ground, and this other man, he picked up my ear off the ground, brushed it off, put it back on, and, and my ear, I can still hear, everything's good Okay, sweetheart sounds like you had a good day can you imagine if your ear was cut off fell to the dirty ground some other man that you're supposed to be arresting picks it up puts it back on your head you can hear better than you've ever heard before wouldn't that have changed his life forever I would think why are we arresting this guy but it was Peter who cut, his, cut that guy's ear off. It was Peter who boasted these words. I will never, never, never deny Jesus. I've walked with him for three and a half years. I have walked on water. Hey, I cut a guy's ear off. I've done this and I've done that with Jesus. I'll never deny Jesus. He's, he's my friend. He's my bro. That's the kind of, the kind of attitude Peter had. Peter's by a fire one night, warming his hands. As guys do, they're talking about the day's events. One of the guys looks at Peter and says, hey, weren't you with that that guy named Jesus? I think I saw you with Jesus. Peter says, hey, what, what are you talking about? I don't even know him another person yeah, yeah So I, I know you you are the guy that cut off that means here you are with Jesus and, and Peter said, I have no clue what you're talking about get out of my face I don't even know that Jesus person I don't want anything to do with him a third time someone says I know you were with Jesus you're one of his servants you're one of his friends and Peter now is enraged. That rat, that brash, impulsive Peter, he curses. He uses profanity. And after that third denial in the background, what did he hear? He heard the rooster. And Jesus even told Peter before that old rooster crows three times. before that uh, uh, rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. (laughs) Jesus, you don't even know what you're talking about. Peter, in shame, he slinks away into the night, realizing that what he had done is that that man that he had been with for three and a half years, he denied him. The Bible says Peter wept bitterly. His life was over. His box is smashed. I might as well go back to fishing now. My life is ruined. Some of you are like Peter this morning. You're in a position right now that, that uh, you, 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 you just have fallen away. And if you're watching by live stream, maybe you're seated, seated there on your couch and you've fallen away. You once were on fire and now... Kind of denied the Lord by the way you live your life. Peter went out and he wept bitterly when he realized what he had done. But it wasn't over there, it wasn't over at that moment. Do you realize what happened after Jesus died? And we're gonna hear about that in two weeks. After Jesus died, after he was raised again, after his resurrection, Jesus specifically named Peter as the one who was to carry the good news. Isn't that amazing? I am so thankful that Jesus does not give up on us when we fail him. No matter what place you are in this morning, Jesus never gives up on you. The man who denied him, the man who cursed, the man who went out and wept bitterly, the man who left, Jesus said, You know what, Peter? I want you... To take the good news of my life to the rest of the world. And God used Peter greatly in the foundation of the church. And it was Peter who first proclaimed the gospel at an event called the day of Pentecost. And it was Peter who, who took the gospel to the Gentiles. May I just say this morning, we should be thankful for Peter. There may be one or two Jews among us, but the rest of us were Gentiles, and I'm just so thankful this morning that there was a Peter who did not quit, did not give up. He got up because God commissioned him and said, take the gospel to a lost and dying world called Gentiles. Peter was the foundation of the church, a modern-day church, but you say, wow, everything got better in Peter's life. Everything was perfect in Peter's life. Oh no. Peter had these bright impulsive moments. He denied our Lord. He was recommissioned. He was given a, a purpose to live, and that was to take the good news. And now, and now people didn't want to hear the good news. Peter's in prison. Wait. God, I did what you told me to do. And Peter is now in prison, and he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put to death for doing the very thing that Jesus told him to do. Share the good news. Wait. That's not my plan, God. And those Roman centurions and the Roman government decided enough. Peter was going to be killed, crucified. History records that as Peter was given the choice of how he should die, he said this, I'd like to be crucified upside down because I'm unworthy to die as my Lord died. Do you know that Peter was even forewarned of his own death by the Lord Jesus? In John chapter twenty-one, it alludes to the fact that that Peter would die a martyr's death. The Bible says, "Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest; but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not." This spake he, signifying uh, by what death he uh, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Let me tell you, Peter, what's going to happen. You're going to follow me, and you're going to die. Early church history points to this happening somewhere around A.D. 67 to A.D. 70. He died. May I just say this? Peter was an amazing man. And and Jesus, he finds unlikely heroes. He was uneducated. He was uncouth. He was brash. He was impulsive. He spoke his mind. He said dumb things. He did dumb things like cutting off a guy's ear. And Jesus still found a use for Peter. It doesn't matter if you're from the hills of West Virginia It doesn't matter if maybe you haven't had the best education If you're willing to allow Jesus to use you, He can use you Peter was amazing Peter was a fisherman from Galilee, but Jesus called him to be a fisher of men Peter was willing to leave all that he had behind to follow Jesus and God used him in extraordinary ways What people were amazed by was the fact that Peter spoke with boldness and conviction, yet he had no schooling. He's just the opposite of the Apostle Paul, who had all kinds of education. Peter was eloquent, but he was just an ordinary man. People also noted that he had been with Jesus, and that he saw through his example that aligning himself with Jesus made all the difference, and 2,000 years later, may I just tell you that aligning yourself with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. This brings us to our message this morning. Out of honor and respect to read God's word, let's stand together. You say, my word, how long is your message going to be? Well, stay and find out. i want to ask you a question. Have you ever faced a trial? How many of you respond? How many of you have ever faced a trial? That's all of us. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If I were to give our message a subtitle this morning, it would just simply be this. Be of good cheer. You say, be of good cheer. Impossible, Pastor Armstrong. You don't know what I've been through this past year. That may be true. I don't. I don't know everything that's happened. But I do know of one who does know what's going on in your life. So from Peter's vantage point, as he wrote about trials and conflicts and flattened boxes and shattered paradigms. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Look, all of us as Christians, at verse 13. But, what is that next word? But rejoice. rejoice That's ludicrous. Don't you know I have money in the bank? I don't have to suffer. Don't you know I live in a fancy house? I don't have to suffer. Don't you know I have food in my pantry? I don't need to suffer. Don't you know I have some of the greatest doctors in all the world to take care of me? What do you mean I need to suffer? But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You know what? We count it an honor to suffer with Christ. That he picked you out of all the other people in the world to suffer for him. Father, we ask that just in the next few moments of this shorter message, that you would speak to us, that you would allow us to learn something from the life of Peter. Father, that we would carefully look at our own lives and see if there be something that we can learn today. Bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When Jesus said in the world you should have tribulation, he was looking into the future for all of his followers, and he knew that we would would suffer some trials, some afflictions, some persecution, if you will. And certainly everyone here this morning would agree um, that life is just full of trials or setbacks or persecution, whatever you want to call it, difficulties. Um, none of us look forward to the difficulties of life. But we have to admit this morning that trials and difficulties, they are a part of life. That over this past 14 months, there have been people who have had financial needs. And there are people that's had employment challenges. There's people that's had some real health needs in our congregation. There are others that, oh my, this has been hard on family. Literally, still, some of you, Uh, have your children online schooling and it's a struggle to juggle uh, mom and dad working and and, and children at home or child at home watching um, uh, online on the computer to learn and this the stresses and strains of children not being connected with the youth group or with Awana or with other children oh there's been some struggles in our family and may I just say in general relationships have been a struggle there's a lot of people who've had struggles Trials are a part of the Christian life. Trials are used by God to mold us to be the person that we need to be. Now, we all have to understand that trials come from different origins. I don't want to sugarcoat anything this morning. Let me give you an example. Sometimes trials are self-inflicted. Sometimes what you're going through is a result of you self-inflicted. I've counseled folks who are going through a great financial difficulty. And then we begin to discuss their financial difficulties. I found that they've charged on their credit cards literally as much as $20,000 on a credit card some may have gone through a trial with their employment and 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 they've been fired pastor pray for me i've lost my job and yet when we do a little discovery you are filed, fired because of your absenteeism or your poor work ethic or you have a bad attitude in the workplace and i believe that classifies your trial as self-inflicted now some trials are the chastening of the lord Uh, Do you remember in Hebrews when God states this, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And a Christian cannot deliberately disobey God and not expect God's involvement in the life of that Christian to bring him or her back to him. To know what is right and not to do uh, what is right. The Bible says that's a sin. It's a transgression. It breaks, it severs fellowship with God. Now, this does not mean that God does not love us or that He hates us. On the contrary, it's because of God's great love for us that He demands that He corrects us. He may bring a trial or situation in our life that reminds us that we do need God in our life after all. Reminds me of an incident that took place in our life several years ago. Uh, Shelley and Jonathan and um, our son uh, they went shopping and they were uh, at Kroger and I'm so thankful that Jonathan is not the the Jonathan of yesteryear our Jonathan is settled down and he's in a wonderful wonderful addition to our staff and now he's married and its his daughter who will do the things that he used to do I remember what happened after the incident very clearly Shelly saw Jonathan reach over and pick up a jar of Prego spaghetti sauce. If you remember, they used to make Prego in glass bottles or glass jars. And so uh, Shelly's like, Jonathan, put that back. And Jonathan does this. It hits the floor from the shopping cart It breaks into a million pieces, and that spaghetti sauce goes on the shelf. It goes all over Shelly. Shelly already had her shopping cart full of groceries. She was mortified. She was embarrassed, and she pushed that shopping cart to the front. There was somebody there at the front. She apologized profusely. She said, I'll be back to pay for the groceries, but I've got to go take care of this. And She drove to where I worked. I don't know what the conversation was like in the car up until that point. I was not there, but I do know what happened when she came in. She stormed into work. She came to my office, and she took little Jonathan, and she said these words, Here, he's your son. (laughs) I remember very clearly she was wearing a blue dress or blue skirt and white hose, and she had all of this red all over her hose and the bottom of her skirt. She turned around, and she stormed out, closed my office door, and she was crying outside my office door. Um, initially, I was amused. I, I just have to say, it was, it, it was kind of funny, I mean. But I have to tell you, that was my Peter side. It did not go over very well with Shelley. I made the situation worse. I quickly realized that this was a, a, a lot more serious. And I closed the door. And Jonathan and I had the opportunity for loving correction. Now, this was a different time period. Um, and many of you may have different opinions about this. I'm talking about yesteryear. I spanked my son in my office and uh, I disciplined Jonathan. I explained to him why he he earned that spanking because he directly disobeyed his parents and there was loving correction. And why did I have loving correction for Jonathan? And I did not want him to go down the path of destruction so that his life would be destroyed. And I also had a very distraught mother sitting outside my office. God sometimes has to administer loving correction to us because we take the prego jar of spaghetti sauce and god says don't do that and you've heard that through the preaching you've heard that through your growth group class you've heard that through the reading of your bible you've said, i know i'm not supposed to do that and we look at god and we go Sometimes there must be loving correction from God. You've been going your own way, and that trial is necessary to bring you back, to perfect perfect his will in your life. There are also some trials that come into our life uh, of an obedient Christian as a way of testing and strengthening. I know that we'll get to the, the, the person of Job at some point in this character study. Job never denied his God. Job was, a, was, was almost a perfect man, the, the Bible says. He was doing what was right, and, and yet God allowed a trial to come into his life. May I just say no one is exempt from trials, not even you. This morning, you might be going through a trial. The last 14 months may have been a period of trial and testing in your life. And I ask you to examine your own life and see if this morning, if you're ready for a fresh new start. Are you ready to get, get back into it? The country has opened up. Church has opened up. It's time to invite people to church. It's time to tell our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers about Jesus. Are you ready to get back into it? In spite of a trial. I haven't personally experienced this much in my own life, but I am told that weightlifters lift weights to become what? Stronger. Um, uh, a, a person will lift those weights and they challenge his muscle mass and he actually by lifting weights is breaking down his muscle, uh, muscle mass so that when he lifts weights again it becomes stronger or she becomes stronger as so mad you say God uses little trials to prepare and build our spiritual muscle for those bigger obstacles that lie before us So don't chafe underneath those trials see what we can learn and with that let me share three lessons very quickly that I see in the passage of Scripture that we read this morning. Here's lesson number one. The Bible predicts trials. The Bible predicts trials. Listen, you're going to have trials just as a Christian. So do not be surprised. There's going to be a trial. I thought this week, Miss Ruth Cott, she received a phone call that no one wants to receive. And that is, is that her, mother had, her mother's health had taken a turn for the, for the worse. That's my mom. What do you mean? And the family had to make a very difficult decision about that word hospice care. You may I just say, sometimes there's trials that come into our life that, that surprise us. And sometimes there's things that happen in our family and in our finances and our relationships that surprise us. You know what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4? Think it not strange. The Bible clearly states that uh, we should not be surprised that a trial would come our way. And as Peter was writing this, the Jewish believers were suffering trials for the faith. They were suffering persecution because they believed in Jesus. I'd like everyone to look up here for just a moment. Just a moment, please look up here. May I just say the day is coming in your life in 2021, the day is coming in your life when we are going to suffer. Or be made fun of or ridiculed because we identify with Jesus Christ. It's coming. I've heard preachers for many, many years say that in the future, uh, there's going to be a falling away. And people are going to have to suffer for Christ. And I've I've always believed that it's in the future. No more do I believe it's in the future. I believe that it's being legislated right now. So that leads me. Don't be surprised. So therefore, if we're not if we have to have that attitude, don't be surprised, then we should expect suffering. We should expect it. So let's not be surprised. Let's expect suffering. In second Timothy chapter three, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You will find that as you endeavor to read your Bible and establish a moral and spiritual standards in your life, that there will be those who will ridicule you. There will be people who will criticize you that you believe the Bible. My, my own father, he had to change who he ate with during lunch because the men were no longer happy about his change that, uh, uh, as he became a believer. Um, do you know my dad, he refused to play with playing cards His life uh, after he was saved because he associated those playing cards uh, with the lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and gambling of which that he was saved from. Um, Now hear me. The world is not going to say, oh, goody, look, he's no longer smoking. Look at him. He's no longer drinking. Look at her. She's no longer doing drugs. Oh, wonderful. You love God. Oh, fantastic. You're not going to go out and get drunk with us tonight. The world's never going to say that. In fact, the world's going to find out that that's your resolve and they're going to do everything they can to undermine your resolve. The Bible says if you're going to live a godly life for Him, you can expect suffering, trials, tribulation to come your way at some point in time. And sometimes people suffer for their faith and sometimes God allows suffering so others can be saved. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 12 says this, if we suffer we shall also reign with him. Now look at the second part of that verse. If we deny him he also will deny us. There's a lot of scary verses in the Bible. When you talk about hell, that's a scary subject. This Is a scary subject if you live a lifestyle that denies Jesus Christ it doesn't say he might there's a possibility the very Word of God says this I'll also deny you if you deny me lesson number one is the Bible predicts trials now notice our second lesson the Bible tells us though the purpose of trials the Bible tells us of a purpose in trials and there's there is a reason that we go through trials and I'd like to share just a moment why we go through trials the purpose of trials is to revive us there's some of us that need to be revived we are a ghost we are dead we are the walk we're, we're walking like we like like we're in a fog I remember the story in Acts when Stephen was stoned and as a direct result of this incident that took place of Stephen being stoned, the Bible says the gospel was revived. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. And then notice what happened next after Stephen was stoned, a great trial of suffering. He lost his life. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, as for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You know what happened? As a direct result of Stephen's stoning, Saul coming onto the scene, persecuting the church, Christians scattered throughout the world, and the gospel went throughout the world. Pretty amazing. God had a purpose, even in Stephen's allowing Stephen be stoned how many times have i seen a man and a woman are struggling in their marriage and they're on the brink of a divorce and yet a trial comes their way it stirs up their marriage and it revives them and a marriage has been restored and the family is back together in a greater way sometimes trials come to revive us i took our grandson and shelley and i we had the opportunity to go to the fort worth zoo and uh, it's a really nice zoo, and um, and so we uh, took our, our, our oldest grandchild Hunter to the Fort Worth Zoo there, and um, and and we all know it's a well-established fact that I absolutely am terrified of snakes. I um, I, I don't want to touch a snake, I don't want anything to do with snakes, Um, and you can have your opinion, I know that Daniel Taylor sleeps with the snakes, he likes snakes, and before he got married, he had, he said, uh, asked me if I would like to come over to his house one time so I could see a snake, I mean, how, that's ridiculous, (laughs) I mean, that's, I, I associate snakes with the devil, maybe Daniel likes the devil, I don't know, but anyway, I don't like snakes, well, Hunter's excited, we gotta go see the snakes, and he's been there many times. And they have a python exhibit there at the Fort Worth Zoo. And this massive python is there. I mean, he is so big, and he's so fat, and he's so lazy, and he doesn't do anything. In fact, we're looking at him, and he's curled all the way. He's like that big around, and I'm no exaggeration, like that big around in the middle of his body. He's a massive python. He's wrapped around in the Fortunately, there's a big, thick piece of glass between us and him, and he's wrapped around that tree, and it doesn't look like he's doing anything. You know what revives him? Putting a mouse or a rat in there, and suddenly he gets awake. You know, there's some of us, we're like, a, we're like that big old python in the Fort Worth Zoo, we're not doing anything. We need to be revived. What will it take to revive you and get you back active again? The purpose of trials is not only to revive us, but it's to renew us. Once you've been revived, it's time for some renew or some strengthening. First Peter 1 verse 7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be founded to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our trial is like the gold that's purified by fire. God uses trials to give strength to renew us for what is before us. 1 Peter 5 and verse 10 says this, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he has suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. After we've gone through a trial, we'll be renewed. We may not understand why we're going through that financial or family difficulty, but God wants to strengthen you. I read this story. It's a pretty fascinating story. I love to read, and I love to read about what happened years ago. Uh, in Montana, uh, this goes all the way back to stagecoach days. And in Montana, there was a, a, a stagecoach um, that, that would take uh, obviously people from city to city or actually uh, be town to town back then. In um, destroy that was written, um, the stagecoach driver he was taking a mother and her baby, and obviously it's uh, it, it's cold outside. There's snow outside. It's freezing outside. There's no heaters in the stagecoach, and uh, and the, and uh, the stagecoach driver um, saw that the mother had become unconscious because of the cold. So the man took the baby, put it under the seat in the stagecoach, took the woman, and threw her out of the stagecoach. And he rode off. I can't believe he would do such a thing. But the woman, she began to run after the stagecoach. And just a few hundred yards, he stopped and let her get back into the stagecoach. Now her body was warm again, and she took that baby, and they were able to make it the rest of the way on their trip. I don't think I want him as my stagecoach driver. (laughs) But you know what? He saved her life. And he saved the life of that baby. Uh, Sometimes we trudge through the snow and we cry out, Why, God? Why would you allow this to happen to me? And all the time, God said, I threw you out of the stagecoach so you could catch up so I could actually save your life. All the the time, God is trying to keep us alive spiritually. And all through that trial, he's trying to help us maintain a sensitivity toward him. The Bible predicts trials. There's a purpose in trials. Finally, this morning we'll be finished. The Bible has promises for you if you're in a trial. The Bible has promises for those in a trial. Oh, listen to me. God still hears our prayer. A lot of times we get bitter, we get angry, we turn away from God and we can look around and we can even see this morning there are people that used to come to church and we have no idea where they are. They've fallen away. The devil's won. But you may be here and you say, I'm hanging on, the thread is on fire, I don't know what to do. Talk to him. God still hears our prayers. The Bible says, Peter wrote this, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for you in First Peter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says in Psalm 34 and verse 17, the righteous cry, the Lord heareth, and he delivereth them out of all their trouble. You hear me today? I'm telling you, cast your care upon him. You don't need to pray to the Virgin Mother Mary. You don't need to pray to a stone God today. You don't need to confess to some priest. You don't need money. You don't need things to get you out of your problem. May I just say this? If you haven't talked to him, you are the problem. Cast your care upon him. We have a great high priest, and his name is Jesus. Cast your care upon him. He's waiting to care and comfort you in what's going on in your life instead of becoming bitter and angry and put your fist in the face of God and say, if that's the way church is going to be, I'm out of here. May I just say, you have misplaced priorities. You need to talk to him. The Bible promises that he will hear you. Then God even gives you another promise. He says this, I'm going to deliver you. God promises to deliver his saints. Psalm thirty. 7 and verse 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. What a great verse. God will deliver His children, and everybody's trials are just a little bit different. For some, they're great big huge trials, a small little trial to someone else, and your life-shattering problem is a daily grind of a lifestyle to someone else. Growing up, we had a cellar. Now, I have never seen a cellar here in, uh, in Tucson. Maybe someone has one. Um, I don't want to come and see it. Um, uh in West Virginia, we had a cellar. Now, here's the purpose of a cellar. It would be, it would be dug out uh, of the side of a hill. It would be perhaps uh, underneath the basement uh, of your house, or part of the basement of your house, but a cellar would always maintain the same temperature year-round, and so it would be covered uh, uh, with uh, a dirt uh, all around, and you just have the door there. Well, we had a cellar in West Virginia, and um, it was away from the house, and you had to walk down a little hill, and uh, it had a rickety the old door and, um, and, and and so we, as I was growing up, and, and some of our young people today have no idea what i 'm about to say, but we canned uh, our, our our food I mean we had uh, canned corn and canned green beans and canned uh, uh, blackberries, and everything went through the, the, all these mason jars, quart and pint jars, and, and uh, that's what sustained us through the wintertime. Uh, we literally did not go to the grocery store unless we absolutely had to, and so we grew up that way, but invariably, my mother would say, Brent, go down and get two quart jars of green beans from the cellar. Now, here's how that usually went. Don, Paula, um, I would bribe one of them to go with me. I was the older brother, but I would bribe one of my younger sisters to go down to that cold, damp, wet, spider-filled, mice-filled, sometimes snakes, to get two two jars of green beans. Uh, there There were times that that was the biggest trial in my life. I don't mean to be funny, I was literally afraid to go down to the cellar because there were creepy crawly things in the cellar, that was a trial to me. You know what? I look back at that now and I'm embarrassed to even tell you that story. I've been through a whole lot worse since those childhood days in West Virginia. I've been through some times when I've wondered if we will make it through. I spent hours telling you of trials, and, and I could spend uh, the rest of our day telling you about trials, and you know what? They were big to us. I could tell you about Jonathan almost dying from a blood disorder called ITP, and our life stopped. I could tell you about Benjamin being kidnapped in the country of Peru, and Shelley's world being turned upside down. I could tell you a story of Shelley being hit head on in a car accident the car uh, uh, burst into flames and and somebody had to get one of our children out of the car so that their life would be spared oh I could tell you stories from now till tomorrow about trials and some of you you would yawn because it's not your trial do you know what we all have trials and they're important to us When we go through those trials, and there ought to be a sensitivity to to other people who are going through a trial. And just because it's not you going through the trial, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible says that we're to edify, we're to build up one another, we're to help one another. But here's what I'm so thankful is my Heavenly Father says he wants to deliver us through that trial. Paul had a trial. The Bible teaches us that God's grace is sufficient to see us through a trial. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul asked. Three times would you take away this trial, this infirmity in my flesh. Most Bible scholars believe that Paul had an eye condition. And, and we know that many times he wrote very large letters and, and others had to uh, write for him because he had trouble writing. And, and three times he asked for healing or relief from, from this firm infirmity. By the way, those TV preachers that say God does not want you to be poor or sick, they have not read the Bible. The fact is, there's a lot of people who go through sickness, and there's a lot of good Christians that go through sickness. And if God wanted to heal everyone, don't you believe this morning that he certainly would have wanted to heal one of his own disciples like the Apostle Paul? Yet three times he asked, and three times uh, he was not healed. The Bible says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul, in your weakness, you're going to see my strength. You know what? I'm not going to let you win the lottery. I'm not going to heal you. Yet, my grace is sufficient to see you through your trial. If you're feeling weak today, perhaps God's preparing you for an injection of his strength. But are you ready for it? Are you looking for it? Do you desire it? As I conclude my message, let me share an amazing passage of scripture. John 14. The Bible says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas, we refer to him as that doubting disciple. He said to him, Lord, I know not whither thou goest, and how can we know that way? And Jesus said, one of those great verses in the New Testament, he said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man that cometh unto the Father, but by me. The disciples did not want Jesus to leave them, but he gave this promise, I will come again. And my friend, I give you a promise, straight from the words of Jesus. He said this, I will come again. Someone has said this, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Oh, what a cute saying. Actually, that's wrong. There's a, prob- there's a theological problem with that statement. God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. <clears throat> and there's a lot of the world that doesn't believe it. And it doesn't change the truth. God said it. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? No matter what your trial, I can guarantee you that you will spend eternity somewhere one day. There's only two places to spend eternity. And Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Peter, he spent time in prison. He was ultimately crucified Upside down on a cross. May I just tell you where Peter is today? He's in heaven. I ask you this. Where will you be when you die? Oh, Peter, impetuous, brash, sometimes angry, always speaking his mind, impulsive actions, a denier of Christ, a revival takes place in his life and God uses him to preach one of the greatest messages in all of the Bible in a day of Pentecost and thousands of people were saved. He had this great life. He took the gospel message to the people like you and me called Gentiles. And for all of that, he got arrested. He got put in jail because he dare say that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Old things didn't get better for Peter. His trial continued, and his trial continued until he died upside down on a cross. Was his life a failure then? No. You are seated here in the year 2021 because of a man like Peter took the good news to the rest of the world. We should be grateful. Now listen, I'm finished. Who's the next Peter? Is the next Peter or the next person, a uh, uh, female that, that could fall in love with the word of God and say, I want to be used to the Lord no matter what trial comes. I want to be used to the Lord. Is that person here today? Who will take the gospel to those who are behind us? Will one day someone talk about you as you quit on God and we never heard from you again. Or maybe you quit on God, got your heart revived and renewed. And after you were revived and renewed, you were restored and you became the next Peter. Eh, God can't use me. Really? God wants to use you. Instead of chafing under the trial, talk to him.